days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. <clears throat> Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. <clears throat> and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. <clears throat> but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about this vision until after the sun has been raised from the dead. See, that wasn't so bad, was it? Thank you. <laughs> nice job. So I, I discovered something yesterday. It's called Saturday night. It was awesome. <laughs> I never had a Saturday night. Well, just kidding. I'm not asking you to be, feel sorry for me. But I did that because I knew that this morning Lexi's speaking. So I just wanted to quickly introduce Lexi to you. For those of you who don't know, if you don't know Lexi, that means you don't have kids and they're eight kids, which means you also don't know uh, that Lexi's done a fantastic job of building that team and herself growing as a pastor and a leader and someone chasing after the heart of God and also helping others. So several months ago, I said, hey, would you take week two of Lent? And she was like, yep, I'll do that. So, <laughs> well, so thank something you. like that. Yeah. yeah. So we help me help welcome Lexi to the stage. <laughs> thank you. All right. So we're gonna start off with a little video this morning, and this video is actually from my child, my favorite childhood TV show. Um, if you were raised in the '90s, you might recognize it. If not, then I'm sorry, but you get to just hang out during this epic scene of awesomeness. Uh, so uh, while, while we're watching this video, I would like you all to think through this question. When have you observed a child take blind risks out of love for adventure? <laughs> all right, there's a slice of my childhood, the wild thornberries. Uh, the wild thornberries were a family who traveled in their convi across all different nature settings and took great risks with the idea in mind that everything would turn out the way that it was supposed to. We see that at the end with them standing on the top of their convi and, and the sun shining and everything's just bright and dandy again. So I actually found this love for Eliza Thornberry when I was real little and um, I just loved her character's uh, love for adventure and taking risks. And so I actually searched high and low for my Eliza Thornberry doll that I had as a child, and I couldn't find her. She's somewhere in a box in storage. Uh, but I was actually going to bring her and set her down and just leave her there as my like comfort item <laughs> for my nerves this morning. Uh, take a risk. You'll be all right. So... Uh, I want to share this photo with you. This is, you're going to see one of, or you're going to see two photos of me. This is the first of the two. Um, I figured I'd invite you in, since I don't get to share much time upstairs with you all, uh, invite you into my childhood and a little bit of my story. 
So this is little Lexi at five years old, and I was in our family's camper. And in front of me, it might be hard to see, I have a little coloring book that is the wild thornberries. And what you don't see is that bed up behind me probably had my Eliza doll. That thing went everywhere with me. So I'd like to share with you all a story, a couple stories this morning, but this first story has to do with my family's love for racing cars. My grandpa and my uncle Jimmy raced Legends race cars when I was a little kid, and so my dad and I would travel a lot to Kalispell during the summers to watch them race. And over the years, we became really good friends with the owner of the Speedway up in Kalispell. Uh, there's, they had two kids around my age, Giles and Addie. And one day we were sitting there in the pit, and it was probably midday, so long before the races were set to begin. And Giles and Addie and their dad walked up to my dad and I, and he invited me to race, or I guess not race, but take out his daughter's race car onto the track and experience that. And so me, as like the little eight-year-old that I was, I was like, woohoo, let's go. And my dad, I'm sure, was faced with all sorts of fear because one, we don't have the money to replace this car if she crashes it. Two, this is, you know, this is an actual motorized vehicle and my daughter has never driven a vehicle before. And three, we're talking paved track. So there's some real danger here. This isn't a go-kart, this is an actual vehicle. And he thought it over and sure enough, he agreed to let me do it. So I get this 10-minute crash course on how to drive this car and off to the track I went. And I actually remember her car. It was so cute. It was my favorite one for the Junior League. It was the K9 car. That was her number on her race car, K9. And it had little paw prints up the side of it. It was cool. I got to drive the dog race car. So I'm racing around this track, and I probably wasn't going very fast. It's a kid's race car. But I thought that I was going real, real fast. And I loved the adrenaline and the risk in that moment. It was such a fun time for me. And I like to think of what that would look like for me now. If Giles and Addie's dad came up to me today and asked me if I would like to drive a race car, there is no way, there is no physical way I am getting behind the steering wheel of a race car and going out onto a paved track. There is way too much risk involved in that not happening. It seems like when we become adult, adults that this is a common thing. Taking risks and making difficult choices becomes really scary. There's a lot on the line. We have bills to pay, jobs to keep, little mouths to feed, bodies to clothe, homes to fix up, cars to maintain, so on and so on. And the idea of taking a risk or making a big decision that could potentially be life-altering seems very overwhelming. I'd like to share another story with you all from my childhood. And I was about five years old in this story, and my family and I loved to go camping. And when I was about five years old, we went up to Crow Creek with some family friends who had a son my age. His name was Cole. And Cole and I spent the whole weekend getting into all sorts of mischief, as, you know, typical five-year-olds do. And 
we decided to go running through this field of tall grass at the campground, and Cole spotted a snake. Both of us screamed, and we ran back to the campground laughing. We weren't running back to the campground out of fear, and that's important, because we spent the rest of the weekend chasing snakes in this field. And I know now that it probably wasn't a giant rattlesnake, it was likely just a little gardener snake, but the thrill of that experience for me had us chasing snakes all weekend, and that's what we did as little five-year-olds. And this is probably um, an unpopular opinion, but a good tidbit for you to know about me, this story is probably one of the reasons that snakes are one of my favorite animals. I love them. I will be the first to step in line to hold a snake. Oh man, I love a snake. Love them. So it's this childlike faith. Oh, this is little Lexi. Sorry, I forgot to explain this. This is little Lexi on that camping trip with Cole standing behind me. And then you see the field of grass that we were snake hunting in all weekend long. And that is likely the face that I made as soon as I got back from chasing snakes. It's this childlike faith and security in the peace of God that leads us into our conversation on Psalm 121 this morning. So we start off once Psalm 121 with the concern of a helpless person. And in verses 1 and 2, they are saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, they're looking up to the hills. And I think it's important to note that they're, uh, the this talks about ascent because it's a psalm of ascent. So we have eyes going up and ascent means to go up. And uh, we had the story of transfiguration read to us earlier. And in that story, we have Jesus and his three disciples who are sending up this mountain to have this holy event take place. And this psalm is likely one that they would have either sang or prayed over themselves before they headed up this mountain to have this holy event take place. So, we also have in Psalm 121, three very common interpretations that you may or may not have heard of before. And these interpretations are uh, very oddly different, all three of them. And we're only going to be exploring the third one, but just so, so we cross the other two out, I'm going to let you know a little bit about them. Uh, interpretation one, I have dubbed as Pagan Shrine Disappointment. It's kind of a bold name. So this interpretation calls for the concern of the helpless person looking up to the hills, and instead of being met with where to holy temples would be, or holy places atop a mountain would be, they are instead met with pagan shrines being built in those places. So instead of looking up and being met with this great joy, they're being met with this pagan shrine disappointment and looking down and reaffirming to themselves that their help comes from the Lord. In the second interpretation, which I have dubbed soldier headed to battle, uh, we have the concern of this helpless person who is actually a soldier getting ready to head into battle. And they are calling out for help from God as they go out to face the unknown in this battle. The reason why I think this interpretation 
is not very likely is because this psalm doesn't speak to anything of battle, uh, physical battle anyways. It does talk about a spiritual battle. So interpretation three, which is the one we're going to be exploring this morning, is the interpretation of the endearing sojourner. And in this, we have uh, this concern of a helpless person who is looking up to the hills, seeking help. And lifting your eyes in Hebrew tradition was actually an endearing act that implied a longing for something rather than a sense of dread. So we have this person who's getting ready to take off on a grand adventure, and maybe it's a physical adventure, and maybe it's just a spiritual adventure. And they are seeking help and affirming to them that God will be with them, that that is who they receive their help from. So now we have this shift from first to second person narrative. So in those first two verses, we have this person who is crying out, and it's using the language me, my, I, And now, in this second part, I like to think of it as a call and response. We have this person who is responding to the endearing sojourner. And they are responding to them with three travel advisories at first. And again, I'll add in that this may not be a physical traveling journey, but a spiritual traveling journey. So the first travel advisory that we see is in verse 3. And it says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. I want to share with you all some verses from Matthew 7 that I think speak to this verse in Psalm 121 very well. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So this is speaking to how God gives us a firm foundation to build our faith upon. We have solid footings to build our faith upon. So this leads us into travel advisory number two, which comes to us in verse four. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I think very simply put, the respondent is assuring the endearing sojourner that God will be with them through all parts of their journey. He won't be taking a rest. He's not going to be leaving you or keeping his eyes off of you at any point in this journey. Then we have the third travel advisory, which comes to us in verses 5 through 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So in this, we have God being referred to as a keeper, which is also translated as guardian, or to keep watch. And this is simply used to show that God is not just some uh, big figure making executive decisions from on high, that he's actually with us, uh, present to us and beside us. We also have shade or a shadow being referenced here. 
And shade has a very, uh, very solid purpose. One, to refresh us from the heat, and two, to protect us from the sun's rays. We also have a shadow, which a shadow is always with you. It always follows you, unless you enter into total darkness. The second you reemerge, even into the faintest of light, your shadow reappears. So this is the respondent assuring the endearing sojourner that wherever they travel, the Lord God, their shadow, will be with them wherever they travel to. Then we come to what I like to call the finale, or the final two verses of this Psalm 7 and 8. And they say, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. This psalm is a song or a prayer of promise, but the promise is not to protect us from trials and suffering. Instead, the promise is that so, we, so should we choose to live our life in unity with Christ and journey with him in unity, he will be with us to refresh our souls and protect our minds or be our shade. This is referencing the peace of God. And the peace of God is a gift to us, and we can use it against every calamity that comes our way. I'd like to share a quote with you all from N.T. Wright and his book, Evil and the Justice of God. He says, the only thing to do is to hold the spectacular in one hand and the messy reality in the other and praise God anyway. And I think this speaks really heavily to how we have messy realities and the way that we look at our own lives, life can be messy. But when we look beyond our own individual selves and look out into the world, we can see the spe spectacular that God has created for us. And when we put those two things together, we're able to allow ourselves the peace to praise God any anyways. So when my husband and I brought our son Lachlan home in 2019 from the hospital, uh, I developed this horrible habit out of fear. And I think many parents in this room can probably relate to this story. Uh, whenever we would lay Lachlan down to sleep, I would lay my hand on his chest or shine a light on him if it were dark to see his chest rise and fall, checking on his breathing. And this fear was so overwhelming to me that something would happen to him in his sleep that I would literally wake up out of a cold, in a cold sweat to go and check on my son in the middle of the night. And this fear then translated after about six months or so into the fear of what if, like the overprotective mom of like, what if this happens? Or if he goes onto this play structure and falls, he's gonna get hurt. Or what if he grows up and doesn't become a, a Christ follower? And so then that so quickly filled my soul with fear. And I still have those fears. And I think any uh, veteran parent in this room who has ever raised a kid can also relate to this, that the worry for your children never goes away, no matter how old they get. Uh, I like to think like when a kid grows up and they get their driver's license and they're headed out on the road, as a parent, you worry for your child. When they go off to college, you worry for your child. When your child has a child of their own, 
You worry for them. And maybe you aren't a parent, but maybe you share similar worries for a spouse who travels uh, for work. Or maybe it's for aging parents and their health. Or maybe it's for a friend who you feel isn't making safe choices for themselves and you share a worry for them. There's nothing wrong with being cautious or being a planner or being a worrier so long as you understand that you are giving up total control to God. And giving up total control to God can be seen as a gift depending on how you look at it because it's allowing the peace of God to dwell within you rather than fear. I've heard this quote before, and I forgot to share it with the first gathering, so I'm kind of bummed, but I feel like it's pretty common, so most of you have likely heard it. And it's, the fear of tomorrow can so quickly rob us of the joy of today. So when looking at our lives through the lens of this psalm, we can see how it's a prayer of promise over our unique faith journeys. It's an invitation to change our perspective that the mundane day-to-day tasks that we're tasked with become a get-to experience instead of a have-to experience. And we need not appropriate the circumstances wherever we are, whatever those may be, whether we're abroad or at home, we are exposed to more spiritual danger and physical danger than we are aware of. So when we invite God to bring his peace into us and release that total control into the world, we are met with the help of God against every calamity. I would like to share a quote by John Ortberg with you all. It's from his book, Love Beyond Reason. I almost said a different book. I do love John Ortberg books, but Love Beyond Reason. And it says, Scripture alternates between hair-raising risks and assurances of impregnable security. And when we look at the lives of great followers of God, we see this combination of breathtaking risks with an almost brazen confidence of being safe in God's hands. Ortberg then goes on to describe many instances in biblical history where a follower of God did exactly that, followed God at great risk. He references when Moses defeated Pharaoh. He also mentions when David challenged Goliath, or, and this is likely the most common thing that we can think of about a risk, when Israel occupied the promised land. These are just a few instances out of dozens and dozens. The Bible is filled with instances of Christ followers doing so at great risk. He then finishes out his quote by saying, none of these actions make sense unless the actors all understood from whence came their help, unless they understood that they were in the watch care of a great big God. So no matter what we may be facing, whether it be risky circumstances or difficult choices, or maybe we're looking out to go on a great adventure, we don't have to do it alone. We can choose to let total control go and invite the peace of God to dwell within us. And in such ways, we're inviting this sense of childlike faith. So I want to close you all out with this question. 
and that is, where may God be challenging you to have a sense of childlike faith, take a risk, and trust in his helpful watch? So I'm going to pray here in a second, but before I do so, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion together. So an usher will release you row by row, and you'll be able to receive bread and wine or juice, and then we'll wait until the band is done singing and partake in communion together. There's absolutely no pressure to take communion, so don't worry about that. Uh, So let's go ahead and pray as the band comes back up. God, I just thank you for this opportunity to be with this room of Christ followers and to be with this community this morning. I just Uh, Thank you for the impact that they have all had on my life and my own unique spiritual journey. I pray as each and every one of these people go out and face their mundane day-to-day, that you challenge them to be risk-takers, to invite your peace to dwell within them, and, and to show who you are through their actions and the way they choose to live. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.